0: BLOB! Welcome to Lickin' on
1: Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry.
2: Brought
0: to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is
2: 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host
1: of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'.
2: Good to have you with us, everybody. Excited to have you on the broadcast and making, having you make this a part of where you get information on what's going on in the industry. It is Monday, June, excuse me, June, it's July 27th. How quickly the time does fly. We are pleased to have so many on the line, especially with it being a holiday. I am just amazed at how many people are dialed in. Obviously, we have got a hot topic that has struck a lot of interest. And today we've got Jack Nunnery of Texas Capital Bank, who recently announced the latest, the newest, and uh, I would say substantially improved correspondent lending operation, known as the mortgage conduit. Excuse me, mortgage correspondent. I keep wanting to go to conduit Mortgage correspondent aggregation mechanism business model platform. It's a really exciting, and some of the things that they went through to get this business launched in an innovative way, and uh, it's really exciting, and I've been privileged to be a part of what he's been doing for some time, uh, and so a great friend, and I'm excited to have Jack on the broadcast. Again, we're talking about innovation. This is the fourth in a series of broadcasts, and today we're going to be talking about innovation going on in the correspondent lending operations or areas. So we're also, I just want to go out and say again to everybody, you hear me say this each week, but we're a, uh, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals, for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress in Lending Award. Also, a special thank you goes out to our sponsor, United Guarantee, one of our many sponsors. United Guarantee supports... FHFA's affordable housing initiative with MI guidelines for qualified borrowers that can help moderate income families and individuals purchase homes that they can actually afford. The MI guidelines are consistent with the United Guarantee's deep commitment to ensuring the mortgages they protect on behalf of lenders are well-suited for the borrowers and their their various financial situations. They offer flexible and Oftentimes, very innovative products. For example, they cover up to 97% LTVs. They will also allow allow gift funds, and there's certain other requirements when certain other requirements are met. There's some caveats about that, but, man, you really need to get a hold of your local UG United Guarantee sales representative to find out all that they have to offer. You can go to their website, www.ugcorp.com. And mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee. Also a special thank you goes out to Velma, V-E-L-M-A.com, Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. We use them for notifying you of this broadcast. We're excited to have that partnership. They do an outstanding job, and they have a set it and forget it campaign. Also they have the campaigns where you're they're very involved with you and doing a great job getting the word out. Of course, I want to say a special thank you to each of our regular contributors. And that's Alice, Andy, Joe, Paul, and Sam. It's good to have you here with us. And folks, we've just got a full right line up today. So we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to get into exactly what's happening with the markets. Joe Farr, what's the latest with what's happening out there? Hey, Dave. Um, you know, we're up 730 seconds right now.
3: Uh, been there. We've been around that most of the morning. We opened higher due to a big sell-off in the Japanese stock market, not Japanese, Chinese stock market. Chinese, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that, that kind of spread across the globe, and of course uh, the sell-off uh, caused uh, safe assets like mortgage-backed securities to be in demand, and we saw a little improvement in price. Yeah, that's good news. Welcome that. The, uh, the economic data that came out this morning was uh, you know the headline was a little better than expected, and and you know that that sell off uh, overwhelms that. But when you got into the details of the durable orders report, uh, even though the headline number grew a little bit, it it was mostly due to transportation orders, volatile transportation orders. So it's a uh, uh, not that strong a report anyway.
2: Then well, uh, at least when you, uh, you compare it, you compare it to last month, which was a negative two point one. So yeah, it was much know, better. Yeah, it's much better, so yeah. context. All right, yeah, so what do we have, uh, What talk about last week.
3: Yeah, last week, finally, Greece wasn't a big factor, and the economic data, there wasn't much of it, so it wasn't a big factor. Uh, China kind of was the mover last week as well. Uh, you know, concerns about the pace of their economic growth uh, also hurt stocks and helped bonds last week. Uh, last week, the housing data that came out, the U.S. Ha- housing data was mixed. Uh, a, a very good existing home sales number uh, rose 3% to the best levels since 2007. Uh, strong demand, low inventory caused the uh, median home price to rise to the highest, uh, I think it's highest it's ever been. Wow. And then the the new home sales that came out later in the week were a disappointment. They fell six percent from from May, and May was revised lower. Uh, they fell to a le- level of two hundred eighty four hundred eighty two thousand on an annualized basis, and five hundred fifty were expected. So it was really a pretty big miss. Uh, but then on uh, jobless claims came out last week, and and they were at the lowest reading since nineteen seventy three at two hundred fifty five. Uh, initial new jobless claims. And uh some of that's due to summertime volatility. It's a volatile number as is and it gets to be even more volatile in the summer. Some plants just you know close down to do maintenance, et cetera, and it has a big effect on those numbers. The movie the four week moving average though is continuing to to drop a little bit and so that's a good sign. Um and then this weekday we've got a, a couple of really big events. Of course the Fed meeting's the biggest. It's uh, uh the statement's gonna be read at two o'clock, on Wednesday, on, yeah. On Wednesday. And then uh, we get the first look at second quarter GDP on Thursday. Uh consensus for that is two point six percent, uh which is a whole lot better than last first quarter,
4: which yeah. was a yeah.
3: dense drop. Uh we get a little more uh housing data on Wednesday with the pending home sales number and then uh, also coming out next week so Chicago PMI we got consumer confidence and consumer sentiment coming out and then their treasury auctions on Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday so a lot to look at this week.
2: There'll be a lot to be focused in on and uh, when you look at the existing home sales from last week uh, and why that was such a positive number and the pending home sales I want to get your thoughts on this, Joe. Someone was, in one of the articles I was reading, they said, well, actually, new home sales and pending home sales numbers should be more closely aligned because it gives you a, a more of a read on exactly contracts that are being written. I right. didn't realize that the new home sales contracts was, as the name suggests, it's actually contracts that are just written. And so right. those th- that's better re- reflection of where the market's currently at. So one of the articles I was reading is we may actually see in the housing market lose a little of its steam because of the rise in interest rates. And as a result, we're seeing that existing home sales numbers kind of being a, a statistic through the rearview mirror. Thoughts on that? Uh,
3: uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a really it's a couple months old, given that uh, the contracts for these existing home sales were signed a couple of months ago. Um yeah, I'll tell you that that there are a lot of people out there that are thinking that this we're maybe not at the start of a decline. Uh, MBA, the Realtors, Fannie and Freddie all have put out recent updates to their estimates that show the the housing market continuing to improve throughout the second and third quarter. Or so or the third and fourth quarter. So um, you know the amount of rising rates has not been enough to dissuade somebody from buying a home. You know, maybe right. they have to buy a little less home, but uh, you know, it's not going to be—it's it, not a deal breaker. And they're seeing uh, more people come in. I think the bigger issue is—is is the affordability or the or the price? Are we at a point where that price has gotten so high that people are going to back off, thinking that they might, if they wait a little bit, uh, get a get the same house for a better price? But uh, yeah. we'll see how that goes.
2: Well, we'll be interested to see what the pending home sale number comes in on Wednesday. It's released at 10 a.m. I'm looking at your website, folks. Mm -hmm. This is such a great website for getting information what's going on. If you're not using this, you have got to – I question whether or not you're staying in touch and serving the customers like you need to and should. So I recommend each of you taking a look at this. That sounds a little strong. Well, actually, I strongly believe in it. So anyway, stay tuned. We've got Paul Marlowe on hold. We're going to go to him right after the break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Well, I think we're in a brief break. That's it's The really, switchboard is running really slow here day to day. So maybe okay, we're you, not going to.
3: You've already done the advertisement for.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, there it goes. Well, now I'll try to. <laughs> well, we've got some latency going on here, so we'll let that play out. I'll go right back. Oh, there we got rid of it. Yeah, I did give it a good ad, but folks, check it out. Apologize that that. You know, when we do everything over the Internet, we've got everyone dialing into voice over IP systems. We're dialed into the Internet. Sometimes you just run into latencies and that's what we're experiencing, some and some problems on the Block website and that side of it, so we'll skip that. But anyway, uh, thanks so much, Joe. Let's switch over to Paul. I'm going to click on his mic. Hopefully, that will work fairly quickly. It's take, I'm looking at this thing spinning, Paul, so I don't know when. I'll let you know when you, you can hear me, but as soon there you are. You're alive and well. How are you, my friend? Well, I had you live, and then it clicked right off, so uh, we're definitely having some wonderful, fun times with the switchboard here. There, Paul, it's bouncing in and out. I apologize, Paul, but uh, we seem to just not be able to get your mic to stay on. I hit it on, and then it bounces right off. So I don't know where you're you're, you're dialing in from your normal number, it looks like, Paul, so I apologize for that. But there you are. I think we're on for good. Paul, you're there. Well, then it just shuts it off. Anyway, folks, I apologize. Paul, I apologize for that little issue. I do not know what's going on. I'll bring up another piece of technology. We'll try to get that going. So, Paul, if you guys are not checking out Paul's website at imfnews.com, it is something that I just recommend that you consider. There you are. I think it's back on. Paul, are you there?
4: I'm here. Can you hear me?
2: Yeah, now I hear you. Man, that's uh it's uh, got some challenges going on a blog talk. So, I, I was going to read your news uh, what you have up here, but I'd rather hear it from you. So, what you got?
4: Uh well, <laughs> if they can still hear me, we have a couple interesting items. <laughs> uh too. first, you. And foremost, you. Well, you know, you. JP Morgan Chase, they're um they're keeping a lot of conventional loans in in portfolio, and that's that's a bit unusual. Um we crunched some numbers, and uh, J.P. Morgan they reported uh, that they added mortgages with a balance of 19 billion dollars during the quarter. That would be the second quarter. Um, basically, Marianne Lake, uh, you know, indicated a significant portion of those loans are conventional conforming mortgages. Um, you know, banks don't typically hold a lot of conventional loans in portfolio, so we'll continue to watch that development and see what it means. Uh, also, we had a, a report early this morning. Um, Penny Mac released their preliminary results and they reported pretty strong originations $13 billion uh, for the second quarter. That's a 44% increase from uh, the first quarter. And their servicing also increased nicely uh, $236 billion. Penny Mac, of course, is run by Stan Curlin uh who yeah. left uh luckily got out of countrywide many moons ago before things there really cratered uh and there's it's the sister company to the publicly traded Reed Penny Mac Mortgage, uh... Investment Trust also we got Brandon Ivy's got a new story out there uh, about JP Morgan's new jumbo MBS uh this is an interesting deal because a lot of its IOs um that were mostly originated by First Republic uh more servicing auctions are hitting the market uh interactive mortgage um advisors in denver is out there with a the 712 million dollar portfolio of fannie Freddie rights presser groups out there with a much smaller portfolio uh, and there's been a ton of servicing deals the last uh, four weeks. Ever since the quarter ended, uh, a lot of uh, shops have come out with their offerings, and that's a really brisk market right now. We continue to watch that. uh... Castle and Cook, we uh, George Brooks of our staff interviewed the head of that company recently. uh... they plan to go to all fifty states by the end of two thousand and sixteen. Keep in mind that they get, they were sanctioned by the CFPB uh, about two years ago, but they've they've come back strong. And it uh, looks like they're they're out there to grow. Perhaps maybe one of the more interesting people oriented stories we have today has to do with Donald Trump. Uh it's got nothing yeah. to do with his campaign. <laughs> but we decided, uh, you know, our brain trust here realize, you know, Donald Trump had a mortgage company last decade. So we had our our intern look into what the heck happened to it and, and this was it was called Trump Financial, it was a mortgage brokerage company operating in the New York, New Jersey area, and it didn't last very long and and I don't really think Donald had anything to do with it to tell you the truth. But he basically lent his name to the thing. It was run by a guy named E. J. Ridings who we've had a hard time contacting or finding out anything about and we interviewed some people who remember barely remembered the thing. Uh it did, it really never took off. And, and and unlike a lot of Mr Trump ventures uh this thing sort of fizzled instead of you know turning into another you know trump dynasty or whatever uh so that was sort of a fun piece and he's obviously making lots of headlines these days with his uh presidential campaign and all the interesting things you might say no he's doing. uh yeah we also have Rick Sharger uh, auction dot com came out with their their recent study on flipping versus rent to own and it looks like uh those people who buy those houses uh Are still leaning towards flipping them right away as opposed to holding and renting uh you know it 's funny i I look at these these flipping shows on t v all the time on cable and i'm I'm always fascinated by those shows because you know they tell you what it costs to renovate a kitchen or do do this and that and i've talked to some you know at least one person I know who's in the trades in, in the flipping trade and and she was telling me that some of these prices are quoting on on what it costs or or are really too cheap and I, I always wonder if anyone's auditing those flips uh uh those things you see on tv to see how true the costs are but anyway that's that's a, a it, that's a, a sideline i guess so to speak but uh, i love watching those shows
2: me too our family gets around there's a couple that we watch and that are they're really fun and so yeah i look at some of the cost estimates and i go on yeah, I would question that one, but yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> nonetheless, it, they are out there, and uh, it is it. It's all about grabbing and holding the listener, and so or the viewer in that case. Yeah. So that's, that's good stuff. I love the website, folks. If you're not reading www.imfnews.com, you are missing out the great stuff. I love the story on Trump. I uh, the thing that you guys dig up is just really brilliant, Paul. So i like, kudos to you and. The whole team there, give them our best and uh, sure. Thank look you. forward to having you back next week and hopefully we'll be over some of these audio issues. Good to have you back, friend. Talk to you soon. Thank you. You bet. Let's run over to Alice Alvey and talk to our dear Alice, who gives us updates on everything going on as far as the world of compliance, training. What else? You're like a Swiss Army knife when it comes to the mortgage industry on <laughs> the upside. side. What do you got for us today, Alice?
5: Well, we've got a few things. So, hi, everybody. Happy Monday. Dave, I'm just trying to figure out what holiday it is. I was looking on the Internet. I think you mentioned today might be a holiday, and I'm going, well, I think it's, like, there's some really crazy off-the-wall holidays, and I wasn't sure of a federal holiday, so I'm when the check is to see if we get the day off or something. Because I, I was looking, it was Bagpipe Appreciation Day, National stop, <laughs> Day. And I, I think we still got to work if it's that day. So anyway, from a legislative standpoint, anyway, the uh, federal, what we've got facing us right now is the opportunity to be able to get a safe harbor. So we now have a house bill and a Senate bill that are both looking at giving us a safe harbor until January 1st of 2016 for TRID. We know we had the extension hmm. October 3rd for implementation and actually trying to get, you know, on the track, you know, everybody's at the starting line, hopefully we can all start at the same time and get that right. But the fact still remains of, you know, uh, private uh, right of action and, of course, you know, just being written up in an audit for these things. So I would say get out there, tell your congressman, actually also encourage MBA to get on this. I wouldn't be surprised if they aren't behind it already. Um, so it's Senate Bill 1711 and House Bill 3192. And both of them, you know, it's always good when you get one going on each uh, each side of the um, the road there to be able to try and give us a safe harbor till January 1st of 2016. So watch out for that. Also, in all of this that we have going on. February, I'm sorry, February, FHA, we have September 14th is the implementation date for FHA. As more companies start to dive into this because they've set TRID aside, and I think this is funny, people go, oh, great, I'm going to pay attention to FHA because TRID is way after that. It's only two weeks after it, so there's not a lot of breathing room, but the FHA list is very long and very meaningful. We've had several of our customers just really be very shocked because they hadn't studied the list of, all the changes and they thought it would be minor things but it really does change how your salespeople talk to customers and who will qualify for a loan I mean just to give you some examples they really change how you're going to gross up earnings how you'll be able to treat rental income when a borrower is moving out of a house liquidation of retirement accounts, the definition for new construction, appraisers have a little bit more work. We're back in the lead-based paint disclosure business. I mean, it's it, there's a lot of changes. And for those of us who worked with FHA for 30 years, some of them, you go, it's about time. <laughs> They've gotten rid of a few good things. <laughs> so on the other side, you don't want to be conditioning things for things you don't need. Um, So, everybody's got to make sure they spend lots of time on that in August so they're ready for that um, on uh, September 14th. And um, also, one of the things I've noticed is with everything going on in Trid and FHA, people missed June 10th, right? So, this is well over a month ago. You needed to have in place joint standards um, for diversity and inclusion as another item on your policy list. So, if that one missed you because you were focusing on other things. Uh, just a quick reminder about that. Uh, so Dave, I'll keep it short because I know we want to make sure we save lots of time for our special guest.
2: Yes, looking forward to this. That's going to be a great... Thank you so much, by the way. That's really interesting, some of the stuff that's going on. What were the two numbers? I got 3192 written down. What's the other one? I know a lot of people take notes. It was... What was that other 171 number?
5: 1711 and 3192.
2: 3192, those, got those. written.
5: Times those change, you know, as they get blended with got other it. things and so forth. But uh, that's where they stand as of today.
2: Well, very good, Alice. Appreciate you being here with us. We'll stay tuned. We've got coming up right after the break. We've got Sam Garcia with uh, Mortgage Daily, as well. Excuse me, Mortgage News. Excuse me, as well as Andy Shell. Be right back after this brief break. Love the brief breaks that just don't seem to happen. So anyway, we're going to give up on this. uh, It may end up playing here in a minute. Anyway, BlockTalk just sent me a note that we're having some real issues. If you have questions about mortgage
1: regulations,
2: Indicom Mortgage U U has free
6: answers.
1: If you You need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process,
2: there you go. Well, we apologize, folks. Blog Talk just wrote a note and says, tell your listeners that we've got some technic- technology issues on our side, and so we're not going to play any more ads for the rest of the podcast. So they're having some issues on their website. So we'll hang in here with them. But anyway, Sam Garcia, it's good to have you with us. I'm going to try to turn on your microphone, see if we can get that thing to work and stay on. I'm clicking it one time. But while we're waiting for your mic to go live, let's go over to Andy Shell and get the Profit Doctor, and then we're going to come back to you, Sam, in just a minute. Profit Doctor, what you got?
0: Dave Licking, am I live? Am I live? You
2: are live. Are we there? Are we there? Guys that's frustrating, a little bit distracting when you have that all going on. But anyways, good to have you here.
4: Well, you know, you you uh,
0: Paul was saying a little bit about Trump, and that just reminded me with the Republican field feeling more and more that I am proud to announce the candidacy of Dave Licken for President of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> i We'll get Jack involved to help build the systems around all that. <laughs> well that's <laughs> hilarious. well, you might as well join the team. Well hey Dave, I just wanted to comment. I'm so excited to have Jack Nunnery on the call on the on the um, radio today. We're talking about a correspondent lending revisited, reinvented. I am just reinvention is so exciting and so cool to watch it actually be deployed and you know it takes you have to re you have to reinvent process and process really does matter and to reinvent something you have to know what it is you're doing and how you're reinventing it and so in order to do that you have to know what your structure is you have to know how you're doing what you're doing and you have to have a very methodical process to measuring your tasks and so what's cool about this is is jack's firm has done this exceedingly well and I'm so excited to see how this is received in the marketplace. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm confident it is going to be uh, adopted broadly, and they're going to be setting the new standard for what correspondent lending is like. And as you know, I ran correspondent lending for Bank of America 15 years ago, and it's so exciting to see this next step come along. But well, what I wanted, to, what I wanted to mention to the listeners, though, is that when you, when you have a a uh, organization like every mortgage company does, you have people that do things in order, and you have people who do things in a certain way, and, and you have to have structured steps, and you have to have a methodical process. So while you have to do that to build a large organization like Jack's done, everybody needs to do it. You have to have a well-documented process, and your process has to be built around really three essential things. You have to have... You have to have policies that follow the law. And the law is changing. But you have to have your policies follow the law, the federal regulations. You then have to have procedures that are, are structured steps that implement the policy. So policy follows the law. Procedures implement the policy. And then you have compliance tests that come along to make sure that the procedures are implemented. Every organization in the country has to do this not optional this is how business works this is how companies make sure you're doing the rules right Jack's company is gonna is making it easier but you still have to do it step by step by step and I'm gonna make a same a shameless plug for Alice because she has a she has tools and systems in place right now that take this process from laws to policies procedures and implement the policies and then the ability to do compliance tests of the procedures in a way that no one else in the country does. And one of the really big companies that just got acquired by a big LOS, yeah, all regs and Compass, It's nothing like what Alice does. Alice is so far beyond what they can do. It's don't even bother going anywhere else but talking to Alice about this. I didn't make a dime doing this. I've used Alice's service. I know it's great. So there you go, shameless plug for Alice, but she deserves it. (laughs) So that's it, do it right (laughs) the the first time. Correspondent reinvented can't wait to hear about it. so glad Jack's on the call.
2: Well, we're excited to have him here, and I just realized that Jack somehow got dropped off the line, so while we get a report from Sam here, we're going to go back and make sure Jack gets back on the on the switchboard. I'm not sure what happened there, but I'll reach out to him. Sam, good to have you with us, and I want to say a special thank you to Sam Garcia. You know, he has been so faithful to show up here, and then last week when we were having some audio issues, and again, Blog Talk is trying some new pieces of technology that are trying to increase the, the audio quality here and so uh it was really it was a challenge last week and he was there waiting and i just cannot believe it anyway um we will uh look forward to having uh sam here each and every week but he's here with us down so sam garcia what do you have
6: hey uh can you hear me now can you hear me now i hear you now yes Okay, well, you know, we appreciate being on the show, and I just wanted to extend an offer to your audience specifically. Um, today only, we will basically double their subscription if they buy a one year subscription and they know. Wow. Lincoln, in the uh, box it says how did you find us we'll go in by tomorrow and extend that to two years so it's a good deal it's just a show of appreciation for uh, working together with us and uh, by the way this texas capital bank i live on the same street just down the street from them so i know uh, what you're talking about they're right here in dallas um, one of our our mortgage market index it was um up 11 percent last week so we saw new activity uh jump based on the uh, pricing inquiries that were pulled by clients of Open Close, who provides the data. And the big jump there uh, was FHA business, it, it uh, rose 30% from, uh, la- from the week before last week. Another interesting uh, tidbit from that report was that jumbo rates are now averaging 22 basis points less than conforming rates, showing that the uh, the banks are interested in making up for some of that lost refinance business that we've seen recently. Um, Fannie Mae cut its refi outlook, but more importantly, it lifted its purchase outlook, and uh, the economists put out their outlook uh, this month, and it says that they expect purchase financing to reach $775 billion this year. Uh, that's more than the $760 billion they expected last month. And uh, for 2016, they increased their outlook to $810 billion from $799 billion. So purchases are looking more favorable, and Fannie Mae wasn't the only uh, organization to make that kind of a change. The Mortgage Bankers Association also released its uh, outlook, and it basically raised its purchase outlook for this year by $71 billion, and now they expect $801 billion in purchase financing. And next uh, next year's uh, projection was lifted to $885 billion from $791 billion in purchase financing. So all around, it's looking good for purchases versus what we uh, thought maybe a month or two ago. Um, The refinance of uh, GSE loans was down uh, following a strong month. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loaned refinances dropped 14% in May, they just put out that report from the Federal Housing Finance Agency, Uh, but one thing was the HARP volume was down just 11%, so there was a little uh, less drop for uh, the government program than there was for just standard refinances. Freddie put out its uh, monthly summary, and it turns out that Freddie had its best uh, month uh, for June uh, in purchases and issuances uh, in two years. Uh, they were up 11% from May, and uh, also, Freddie said that its 90-day delinquency was 1.53%. That was the lowest it's been since November 2008, So still looking good on the loan performance on GSE loans. Um, delinquency overall on all types of residential loans reached – uh, was down, and uh, it was uh, – Black Knight reported it was 4.82% in June, down from 496 a month earlier. But more importantly, the foreclosure rate fell to 1.46%, and that turned out to be an eight-year low for the foreclosure inventory rate. And then one last item here is, uh, we got a report last week from Moody's, and it basically said that uh, mortgage insurers are benefiting from solid economic growth, good house price affordability, and exceptionally strong mortgage credit quality. And said that might be uh, continuing for a little bit of time. So it's a good environment for mortgage insurance companies and uh, that's that's the highlights from our last week or so it's
2: good stuff sam thank you so much and thank you for that offer that's very generous especially when i don't bring i forget to turn on your mic last week so well it's it's uh hopefully we get through all these issues but thank you so much it uh, you've got such great content on your website i've got it up here right now and folks i just cannot encourage you to get out there and take a look at it enough Sam Garcia, it's always so much fun. You can get a hold of Sam at samgarcia@mortgagedaily.com at or call him at two one four five two one thirteen hundred, or check out their website at www.mortgagedaily.com. Sam, have a good rest of the day and week, my friend. Appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You betcha. Well, uh, we have Jack Nunnery back on the line. We're so glad. In fact, I went and turned on his mic while Sam was speaking because I wasn't going to take the risk of not having our special guest here. This is just one of those wild days. You know what? I've done this broadcast numerous times. I've done it with technology people and one of Jack's old associates. Dominic was there watching me do it one of these times, and he says, "I had no idea how busy you were when you were doing one of these things you 're touching buttons, doing this, doing that, and that 's when it 's working, and you can only imagine when it 's not but joining to me, joining me on the broadcast is a very good friend and someone I hold very special and have a tremendous respect." because of his attitude and the way he thinks about the business. And it's just so good to have you on the line, Jack. I want to confirm I got the right mic and that you're hooked up and live. Are you here?
1: Thank you, David.
2: That's good. One, one of the things you have in your desk, and it really typifies your attitude, is a saying by Robert Kennedy. And it says, there are those who look at things the way they are and ask why. I dream of things that never were and ask why not. What a great motto, and how badly that is needed, Jack, in this marketplace that we have today, and that's one of many reasons I consider you a good friend and someone I have such tremendous respect for, and I'm excited to have you on the broadcast to share not only what you've just launched, the announcement of what you just launched, but walk our listeners through the process of what got you to this, what challenged you Other than that saying that's on your desk all the time, to really look at this. So that's what our discussion is. Folks, where we have normally, we have a lot of questions. We toss it out to Andy, and Alice, and Joe. And what I'm going to do is walk through each one of these issues and invite Andy, Joe, and Alice to ask Jack questions. So that's a slight break from our normal format. So, Andy, Joe, and Alice, take notes and jump in here as we get through this. Jack, let's start off by talking about some of the historical challenges to the mortgage industry, and if you could list those out, just basically what you saw as the challenges and what inspired you to launch this new program, the Mortgage Correspondent Aggregation Business Model.
1: Well, David, first, I look at that quotation by Robert Kennedy every day when I walk into my office, and it just level sets me and how I approach our industry. But with that said, I was attracted to this opportunity because it represented a true greenfield environment and and I mean by that that Texas capital Bank while while we have created a, a an excellent business in the warehouse space, uh, we had never been in the correspondent aggregation space. so we did not have. Legacy processes or process owners, nor did we have legacy technology. so it provided an excellent opportunity to build a a business vertical from a true whiteboard environment and and early on in that work effort, uh, you know we uh, uh, you and I joined together to yeah. establish what that forward-looking client vision needed to be in this offering. So, thank you for the help and in, in trying to, you know, put that into a framework that we could, you know, build onto that as we created the solution.
2: But I, I thank, you, thank you for that, and it was a real honor to be there at the very as you were beginning to really work through this. You had already had some ideas, and, and you're famous, for, for those of us who have worked with you, you're famous for so many sayings, and I remember one of the early meetings where we came up to the point of we were, we were having a, a discussion, and I disagreed with some folks there, and I was really nervous and go, man, I disagreed a little too strong there, and you said, Dave, this is like NASCAR. If we ain't rubbing, we ain't racing. And you <laughs> created an environment, Jack, where its conflict and difference is accepted and embraced. And I think that's one of the things that's why I'm so excited about this, because people got to put their ideas, their their themselves out there, and it did create some different ways. And a lot of people are saying, "Well, this is the way it's always been done," but you encourage an environment as a leader. To really draw that out, and then through a discussion and through a process that I really want to get into some today, you brought out the best, and that's why I'm so excited and there's so much anticipation of this absolutely rocking the mortgage industry. But let's run through those things, issues, I mean, some of the things we talked about then with data integrity, sure. transparency, run through some of those things, those challenges, early challenges, Jack, that you, had to, you saw as hurdles.
1: Well, when, when we started this process, uh, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, uh, Mitchell Kidder, and I know that oh, yes. uh, Mitch has been a guest on your show before. And I Anytime. asked Mitch, I said, you know, what are some of the challenges that we faced as an industry? And uh, Mitch said, you know, first and foremost, you have to solve for data integrity. Uh, and and so when when we went into this work effort, we knew that we had to find a way <clears throat> to increase the uh, correctness of data in the loan file. and And you know when you look at past solutions, I, I guess you can say, well, solution number one is is whatever is in the loan origination system is what we're going to go with. Uh, and, and that certainly led to a lot of problems. Uh, the second level of solution was is, uh, we, can, we can offshore this and have people uh, key punch data into the system of record. Uh, and in, in the minute that you start talking about manual input of data, uh, that in itself uh, surfaces fears around the accuracy of that input. The industry a couple years ago started to look at OCR. Uh, that had uh, some advantages to it. Uh, but when you tell technology to read a data field uh, out of a known document, well, first of all, you gotta hope that that data expression in the field is correct. And, and, and then you have to also uh, hope that the DPI resolution uh, on that data field is uh, satisfactory enough to actually read the data, and and then hope nobody's driven twelve staples or spilled a cup of coffee over uh, that <laughs> dot where you're trying to extract the data. The solution we landed on was a very unique solution in the market, and I'll call it OCR Compare. And what the technology does is is it 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 asks you to tell it you know where. Across numerous docs, do I want to read a data field? So, if we take borrower's last name, for example, uh, you can certainly tell the technology read it from the 1003. You can say read it from the 1004, the 1008, the note, the deed, uh, an initial title binder, and the technology will compare what is extracted from those different docs. And if it finds the data expression to be equal across the different docs, David, then it will pass the data. Uh, If there is a doc where the data expression is different, it will fail that data value. And then you have to have human intervention come in, look across the docs, and then make the decision to go with a certain data value expression for that data. But in my opinion, that elevates then the integrity of the data since you are comparing it across numerous docs in a file. The second thing that... that, Yeah, yeah,
2: go ahead. I mean, that is just brilliant. I don't know of anyone approaching it that way. And we had talked about that early on and the importance of that. But it's very innovative. But what it does, it drives costs down and increases speed. So brilliant. Go on with some of the other things. I want to keep all the way through this. We had a lot to cover today.
1: Well, yeah, the next thing that Mitch told me that the industry needed to focus on was transparency. Uh, so, you know, are the loans that you are delivering into the security uh, equal to the reps and warrants that you're making about that security? Do you have complete doc sets and And so, as we went to solve for that, uh, you know, we looked at uh, uh, technology that in my opinion, did a very good job of analyzing the doc set. Uh, It also uh, did a very good job around version controlling the doc set so that we know uh, as we produce a doc set that we have all of the docs that need to be in there. They are in a proper lineage of version control and then when we look about the reps and warrants concerning the, the, the quality of the loans that are in the security, we started to use modeling that is available today in the marketplace from actuarial companies that have a very robust database around mortgages. And so a couple of the models that we're going to be using, David, uh, one speaks to uh, the likelihood that the loan will ever be a foreclosure event or a default event. Uh, another model looks at the likelihood that the loan um, uh, will be a repurchase event. And so as we target our quality control and our quality assurance polls, we can focus on those loans that present the greatest risk to the institution. So I think we've done a good job of, of addressing transparency in the marketplace. The next thing that Mitch told me was is that we need to do a better job of ensuring process execution consistency. And I express that in a slightly different way. I say it, different people doing the same thing on different loans differently. We have yeah. to stop yeah. that in business. And so one of the things that we did was, is uh, we partnered with a gentleman by the name of Terry Wakefield. And Terry's company, the Wakefield company, uh, really uh, emphasizes uh, uh, defining the process all the way to the task level. So many people you know, will have on their process flows Verify income. Okay, now what are the tasks that need to be executed and in what sequence, David, do they need to be executed to replicate that task across many loans? And so as a result of our project, we have blown out our processes all the way to task level from boarding a loan onto our system all the way through creating the export file to uh, servicing and 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 so in that you pick up you know a lot of advantages number one uh you know what tasks must be performed you know what order they must be performed in and we've been able to take that methodology and build our training or job aids Mm. from that So so if an associate is executing on a job that they have not executed on in a week or two, they can click on a job aid in our application and it brings up the task level detail on what needs to be done and again the sequence that it needs to be done in to successfully complete that task. We also monitor time in a job and time out of a job. So David, for example, if we're both working on different files, Verify Income is our job and the anticipated time is 28 minutes to get that job completed and you're doing it in 28 minutes and 10 seconds, great. And if I'm doing it in two minutes, what that will signal to us is is that i am shortcutting the process mm-hmm. and so yeah. you know th- those are some really good tools or methodology to make sure that people are executing consistently across a number of different processes the,
2: the it's the attention to detail in this area is just so critical and uh, I'm going to run over to Alice real quickly. You have some quick comments. I'm looking at the clock, so we're going to have to keep our questions to a limit because we have about four more, three more areas I want to get through with Jack quickly. But Alice, did you have anything you wanted to add into that?
5: Yeah, Jack, it sounds great. sounds absolutely fabulous. So uh, you, are you using this today, and what is your customer reaction to your new system?
1: Well, we intend to deploy in the middle of August, Alice, so uh, we have not deployed yet Uh, you know as in any significant development effort uh, you know you will always encounter code defects and we want to make sure that when we deploy uh, that you know we are defect free from a technology standpoint so we're spending a little extra time in what we call quality assurance testing, user acceptance testing, system integration testing to make sure that the offering uh, is largely free of defects when we roll it out the door.
2: The amount of measure twice, cut once, I think is what uh, that guy up there in your neck of the woods, Ross Perot, said in one election. Um, Joe, Andy, anything you want to jump in real quickly with here on this point?
0: Just real quick. Jack, you mentioned that as you've built this process, one of the things was a predictive uh, process to identify repurchase risk. And that could be a show in and of itself. But can you you give the 30-second elevator pitch on what that is and how
1: that works? Absolutely. So the company that we partnered with, I believe, has 36 million residential mortgage loans in their database backing up all the way to 2002. And so what we do is is we feed that model uh, a number of critical data elements about a loan. Uh, and then, you know, through the actuarial process, Andy, uh, it analyzes that data uh, and, and then returns the probability or likelihood that uh, that loan will be seriously delinquent over the life of the loan or that it will be a repurchase event. Like I said just a moment ago, uh, we're making no decisions based upon this model other than we are focusing our quality control uh, to uh, uh, review those loans that, uh, based upon the actuarial findings of the model, will present the greatest risk to Texas Capital Bank. Perfect. Very
2: good. Joe, do you have anything real quick?
3: Yeah. uh, Jack, I'm, a, I'm making this up. I'm a, uh, a lender, and I want to start doing business with you. But I hear all this new stuff. How difficult is it going to be for me to, uh, you know, be able to get into this system and use it properly?
1: Well, it won't be at all, Joe. Uh, that was one of the first things uh, that David and I focused on was creating a very warm uh, and and rich client experience. So, uh, uh, what we were challenged with as we partnered with our technology vendor was building a web portal that was easy to navigate, but yet very rich in its click-through experience. So, Joe, I just really don't anticipate that being a challenge at all. I think uh, you know our our clients, are going to absolutely like what they find on our web portal. Past the web portal, then it's really internal. So uh, I don't think that that adds to or detracts from the client experience.
2: That's good stuff. Let's get into some of the hurdles real quickly. I want to run through this, and then I want to get over the solutions for success that you really – get into some of the things you've done there, but let's talk about hurdles to the successful transformation. One of them is the multiple systems that are out there, and you selected a system that is a single solution. Talk about that briefly.
1: Oh, David, that was that was one of the most challenging, uh, nerve-wracking calls that uh, <laughs> got made during the project lifecycle. Uh, uh, most people in our position uh, would uh, run to a loan origination system uh, as the solution for correspondent aggregation, and and candidly, uh, you know that in itself is a challenge because a loan origination system is really built to manufacture a loan. Uh, what what we did was is we partnered with a technology vendor uh, that had a due diligence platform. Now the challenge there is is that there are many things that a due diligence platform. Uh, uh, that that it does not contemplate doing that you would need to have it do to be a successful component of technology deployed in the aggregation space. For example, a due diligence platform does not typically have a web portal. A due diligence system does not contemplate uh, uh, closing a loan or purchasing a loan. Uh, it does not contemplate shipping a loan. So. That functionality we had to create. So to get a system that we believed was exactly tailored to what our business requirements were, we had to accept more development risk in the project. Uh, fortunately, we partnered with the right folks and 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 the system that we will deploy is going to i said as i said earlier be very client friendly facing but it's predicated off of due diligence not manufacturing
2: Several people have texted me and say,
1: okay, give me some names, <laughs> check off, offer up
2: some names. Who are these firms that you partner with? This is fascinating. This is getting a lot of feedback as, as you're visiting here. Can you reveal or are you comfortable revealing who you sure. ended up partnering with on, on those this? And there's one other company you mentioned you partnered with early on in, the, in your comments. Uh, who is that?
1: Yeah, the technology, the technology solution provider is a company out of Pennsylvania named Loan Logics. And uh, not only is their technology good, but any time that you get into a project of this magnitude, uh, it's all about partnership. And and I will tell your audience that um, that Lone Logics as a partner, uh, when we felt pain, they felt pain, and vice versa. And, and 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 so to that end, I felt that we had a partner that was committed to our success throughout the life cycle of this project.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's so important. Uh, alignment is just so critical. Uh, there's so many things we talk about, the synchronization between technology and the process. How did you bridge some of that hurdle, those hurdles? Is it just intensely looking at I remember when we were together, when I was at the beginning of this thing, we had all these boxes up there, Visio flow charting out. How did you bring that together? Because that, that is not an easy task.
1: Well, no, David, it isn't, and it's absolutely critical because what happens is typically when we talk about innovation, the conversation is always about technology, but you've got to focus on that process in and of itself. And so, you know, one of the things that we did was is uh, through our work with the Wakefield Company, uh, as we built out our processes, and, and by the way, we We applied time metrics to the process. We know who the actor is fulfilling the process. So what that gave me was a very precise understanding of task time and my direct labor cost associated with fulfilling that task. But at every juncture in the process uh, or the project, we kept mapping the technology to the process and looking where the process was not adequately fulfilled by the technology, hence creating a gap that we had to go close with our technology vendor, or conversely that the technology did something more eloquent and we had to modify the process to then fit the technology because we thought mm. the technology solution was the best solution. And unfortunately in our business, you know, we tend to focus on one or the other. Uh, you know, right. We have a technology innovation that we wanna slipstream into our process, or we have a process innovation that we want to sleep slipstream into our technology and we don't do a good job of synchronizing the two up and 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 so you know then what we have is is solutions that are trying to partner with each other in a very fast-paced dynamic environment
2: yeah and you get into all kinds of issues let's move over to the success solutions um, or solutions for success, sorry, the dyslexic moment there. How do you stay abreast of all the solution providers' roadmaps? I mean, and, and the, you look at all the issues you were doing. Get into the solution success component of this workflow product.
1: Well, my advice to your listeners is, is no matter what technology platform that you are in, stay abreast of your solution providers' roadmap because that is just elemental to understanding where the technology that you know, you have chosen is going over the next three years. And be vocal in your solution provider's user community because technology companies listen to their user community. And if you can create uh, some synergy between you and the user community to identify those technology innovations that uh, you, as a group, feel are important to you. Then your technology provider will listen to you. Um, uh, I always tell people that uh, uh, the technology solution is is a very interesting gauntlet, in as much that that. When you buy a piece of technology, you tend to go through uh, significant uh, and, and substantial change as you adopt the, the, the technology platform. When you come back and look at that company and that environment two years later, they look just the same when they exited the implementation work effort of the project. So you've got to identify change agents inside of your organization. And one of the things that we've done at Texas Capital Bank is we we, we have created a group called business integration. And I think that's fundamentally necessary to stay, to stay on the edge in this business. And so what this team or these people or people are tasked to do is, is they're asked to understand The processes at a very granular level. They are also tasked to understand the technology at the same level of granularity. And so their job is to be your change agent inside of your organization and to continue to force a healthy marriage between process and technology. Uh, You know, uh, our business is just like any marriage. If you don't work at it every day, bad things will happen. And and so uh, through this business integration group, yeah, through this business integration group, we ask them to be the change leaders inside of our organization. Uh, You can't rely on process owners to do this because, you know, candidly, David, they're deep into the fulfillment cycle on the loans that are coming through the shop. And, and in turn, if you just you know uh, drop this in the lap of IT, well, IT doesn't really know uh, the granularity of your processes well enough to continue to map or marry process and technology. So we thought it was a very important uh, step here at Texas Capital Bank to emphasize the role of business integration and keeping both our process and our technology fresh.
2: Well, I'm I'm amazed at the questions that are rolling in. So many people, we may have to have you back, Jack, to continue to dive in when some people are, are really fascinated with some of the things you are just run through. But I really want to get through a lot of the notes that you and I had talked about. So let's look at you know, the amount of investment you have in your processes and not in just technology, how, how do you balance that? What is the balancing factor as you were the, the, the executive responsible for this work effort? How did you sort through those, those different things? You brought in all this data. Was it then you went in, closed your, your door, and then, you know, how did you go through the decision? Which one's going to survive? What, what, what processes versus technology? Where was the give and take in all of that?
1: Well, my personal management style, uh, I'd like to think, is very collegiate. So as any good leader will do, you surround yourself with intelligent people. You create a safe zone so that there is no bad idea. When you're out on the leading edge, you're going to get a lot of ideas that don't always fit in the box. That doesn't mean they're bad. That doesn't mean they cannot be adopted. But you've got to create an atmosphere so that... People feel willing to participate and leave their normal comfort zones. I mean, because one of the things that we had to do, uh, and I think the industry needs to do, is, is that we have to, you know, how many times have you heard in our industry uh, that it's an art, not a science? Right. Well, I'm yeah, sorry. But- you know that's part of the problem that has led us to the situation that we're in right now as an industry. We need to inject more science, both in our yeah. technology and our processes. And 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 so you know I was able to assemble a team of builders uh, that is uh, uh, very competent subject matter experts that are committed to the build, and then put them into a collegiate environment where there is no such thing as a bad idea. And, you know, David, I'll tell you, uh, we had many ideas uh, that were up on the board that really never made it into the project, but I appreciate every one of them. Because uh, even if idea number 12 didn't get into the project, it spawned conversation about idea number seven. And we modified right. that. And and so, you know, it's an evolving uh, uh, process that, you know, led to us being able to do what we were able to do.
2: I was in that conference room literally days and weeks and months on end with you as you went through that process. I wish we could have had a video camera running in there because I think the process by which you did that created that collegiate environment where ideas were put out on the table. Brainstorming is there's never a bad idea. Put it out there. We all put up ideas out there. But how you work through those and how you balance it was just masterful, Jack. So I do celebrate not only the process you went through, but how you managed it. And it all comes down to leadership on any successful venture, and and that's really so critical. Looking at the remaining moments of our broadcast, what are the consequences for not transforming, Jack?
1: Well, and one of the things that we felt was important was is that uh, we had to solve for the conundrum of how do you take a deep dive in the loan, but yet compress cycle times? Uh, because what's happened in our industry uh, over the past couple of decades is, is that uh, uh, we have done a great job at perpetuating the repetition of critical and moderate defects in the loan. And we all know what that results in. That results yep. in repurchases or indemnifications. So, you know, if you do not, uh, you know, focus on defect management, defect identification, defect cure, and then bundling up business intelligence and providing it to our clients in a manner that they can consume, then we are doomed to replicate uh, the the cycle of repurchases and indems that we have been in now for. David, I guess the past 20 years. So, uh, you know, that was our challenge number one is is how do we do that? And I believe that we have successfully solved for that conundrum. So, you know, we'll be partnering with our clients uh, and and in, in a way that will help them improve their processes so that their contingent liabilities become uh, you know, less and less as we move forward. And 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 so I think that's a big pickup for them. And, and really the second thing, David, around consequences is, is something that we're living in right now, that until we become the drivers of change again in our industry, regulators will continue to drive change in our industry. And that should be led by mortgage bankers. That's and, absolutely
2: the truth. I agree yeah, with that
1: 100%. Yeah, so, you know, we've got to get back in the driver's seat in, in, in our industry and, and, and begin to create, make fit solutions that regulators will look at us and say, hey, you really are committed to cleaning this up and, 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 and creating a substantial number of value adds to the consumers out there. And until we do that, uh, we will continue to be, uh, we will continue to see change being driven by regulators in our space.
2: And if people will listen to this broadcast and then go back and connect with you, I'm going to give Jack's contact information out. Is that okay if I give out your email address and contact information, your office number, where the people can get a hold of you?
1: Absolutely, Jack. David.
2: Good, good. Folks, you've got to get. Deeper into understanding this. I have so many requests for you to come back, Jack. I cannot begin to tell you the number of requests sitting here on my, uh, um, between texts and emails coming in. Got to have you back. We're going to go and, folks, we're going to be continuing this series on innovation. We've had such a demand for it, such an incredible response to these broadcasts. We're going to be continuing this. I'm reaching out to Terry Wayfield. We're going to get him on. We're going to get Mitch Kyder back on because we really need to look at this. Jack's point, of all the points, excellent points throughout this, unless we start taking ownership back of this industry and our processes and we start driving change, the regulators are going to drive it. And they're going to put it up on us. And it's, so it's incumbent upon us to rise up. Look at great examples of what is being done and being launched that is new and is successful. Jack, I want to wish you all the success in the world with this. It's just been such an honor to start and be in those earliest meetings again for weeks and months on end with you and your team. You've got a great group of people around you. There's no wonder why the warehouse lending operation is already the number one warehouse lending and preferred program. That's not because you're the cheapest. It's because you're so good at it and you studied how to do the business and do it right with a customer mind, saving them not only the hassle, but making it as, as painless and as quality, but you raised the bar for the warehouse lenders. Now you're in the correspondent lending business with this new operation called mor- Mortgage Correspondent Aggregation. And folks, you've got to learn about it. If you want to get a hold of Jack, you can reach him by his email, jack.nunnery, N-U-N-N-E-R-Y at texascapitalbank.com, or you can give him a call at his office, 972 656 6967. Folks, we appreciate you being part of the broadcast. I want to say a special thank you to you, Jack, for being with us. Someone just said, what's his title? He's Executive Vice President, Warehouse Lending, now the new MCA program. Jack, appreciate you being here with us. What an honor, and we've got to have you back sooner than later so we can hear more about it. There's a lot of hunger for innovation out there as a response to these series of broadcasts and specifically what you've talked to us about today. Thank you so much for being here, friend.
1: Thank you, David. A pleasure as always, sir.
2: Folks, I'd hit the show closed and music here. We'll hit the button, and see if it starts up, but based on our track record so far, not sure it's going to work out. Be sure to come back. We're going to continue these discussions on innovation. We're going to get Mitch Carter and Terry Wakefield, hopefully, out on the broadcast and a lot of others. There's a lot of people reaching out to me about ideas. This is really something Its time has come that we bring innovation back into this industry. And don't tell me you can't because of all the regulators going on. I think the regulators are even ready for us to start innovating and take back control. It's a challenge, but we can do it. So good to be with you folks. See you back here next week. Doesn't look like the way the music will start up or not. But anyway, have a great week, everybody. Talk to you soon.